0: standing this morning. We're enjoying the beautiful weather. I had a look at the weather app this morning and it's raining in 13 in Melbourne, so I don't know if I can pack some of that sun and take it home with me. I don't think it'll work, but I'm enjoying the beautiful weather here and, and your beautiful company and your hospitality. I thank you, my wife, and I thank you again um, for that and the invitation. Her name was Charlotte Elliot, and she was born in the 1700s, the late 1700s in Brighton in England. At a young age, she became an invalid and was bedbound or put in a wheelchair when she had to go out. Because of her disability, she suffered physically. But not only that, she suffered emotionally and spiritually. She found solace in verse and song. That's how she found solace. But, yes, she suffered physically, emotionally and spiritually, but she had this feeling of uselessness. She couldn't do anything. She couldn't be a help. Her brother, Charles, was the local pastor at the Westfield Lodge and he had conceived a plan. He was going to set up and build a school. The school would be used to educate the daughters and sons of clergymen at a really cheap rate. So to do this, he set about holding a fundraiser. The lodge was astir. Every member of the church had a job to do, all except Charlotte, who felt useless. What could she offer? What could she do? She was bed-bound. The night before the bazaar, the fundraiser, she was laid awake, couldn't sleep with thoughts of uselessness. How could God use someone like me was the thought that passed through her mind over and over again the next day the day of the fundraiser she lay on her bed and her mind went back to that how can god use someone like me but as i said she found solace in pen and paper and writing verses and as she began to write she penned this just as i am without one plea But that thy blood was shed for me And that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God, I come Just as I am and waiting not To rid my soul of one dark blot To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot O Lamb of God, I come Just as I am, it's a beautiful old song Just as I am, though tossed about With many a conflict, many a doubt. Fighting in fears within and without. O Lamb of God, I come. And on and on this song goes. Just as I am of that free love. The breadth, the length, depth and height to prove. Here for a season, then above. O Lamb of God, I come. Through this song she realized... That even through her ailment, her sickness, her disease, she could come to God just as she was. Matthew eleven, twenty eight to thirty says, and Jesus speaking, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. He goes on to say, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John seven thirty seven and 38, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Romans 5, 8, By God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. This morning, I want to take the title of Charlotte Elliott's song and use it as my title, Just As I Am. Just as I Am. This morning, there is a cry that has gone out from the throne of God, and He is calling for someone. He's calling for you. And He's saying, My child, come unto me. You have tried to carry this load by yourself, and you cannot do it. The term in Matthew 11, speaking of being heavy laden, is actually a shipping terminology, and it refers to a ship. When they load a ship at a dock in Bible times, they would have a string. And once that string went under the water, it would signify that the ship was heavy laden. Which meant, at any moment, the ship could sink, should something, should something toss that ship side to side. And Jesus is saying in that scripture, come unto me if you are heavy laden and you're burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, come to me if you feel like you're about to sink. If you feel like you're about to sink and go under that water and drown and I will give you rest. You know, we can sleep, but Jesus is talking about some real good rest. Real good rest—the rest that kind of takes the load off of your shoulders, and you feel like you are—you can almost float, you can almost fly. You know, we start carrying heavy laden, we start carrying weights, and it might start off, Pastor Butcher, like this little man bag, this satchel, and that's not too bad, is it? It's gonna uh, things are gonna fall out. It's not too bad. It's pretty light. You know, hey, we can carry this. It's not an issue. It's pretty heavy, his wallet might be in here. (laughs) It's got lots of receipts, obviously. (laughs) Sorry about that. But over time, that little satchel then becomes a backpack, a little bit heavier. But you know, it's on our shoulders. So it's okay, it's not too burdensome, it's not too heavy. And for some reason, that, that backpack gets full. And then we get like the little carry on suitcases that we can put in those compartments in airplanes. You know, that's still okay, it's got some wheels. We can pull it along. It's not too heavy, not too burdensome, not too heavy. We can get to where we need to go. But then that gets full. Then we've got to put all of that into a slightly larger suitcase. And now we start to feel this weight, this burden. They you know, have these suitcases with four wheels. They're not really practical. So they're really hard to pull along. You know. So if you've got a full suitcase, my wife and I decided to come here with one suitcase. And we were 500 grams short of being overweight, but it's hard to carry. And that's only 22 and a half kilograms, but it starts to get heavy. Eventually, that suitcase of burdens gets full. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11 when he says, come to me if you're heavy laden and you have burden and I will give you rest. Literally, we can take those suitcases, those bags, that backpack, that satchel and give it to Jesus. Jesus. And He will give us rest. He wants us to come to Him just as we are. You know, we want to we look good, dress up, and we want to get good to get God, as the saying goes. That's not how it works. Because my righteousness has as filthy rags, is what the Bible says. I can look good on the outside, but on the inside, uh, you may not want to know me. And that's what it happens when you try to get good to get God. But we need to let Him make us good. We need to come unto Him because in Romans 5.8 eight says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet bad, while we were yet in sin, He died for us. He gave us the opportunity to get good through Him. And He is willing to heal, to set free, to deliver, but we need to come to Him. The Bible talks about this tax man. There's a Sunday school song. He's a wee little man. Because he was little, short in stature, the Bible says. And his name was Zacchaeus. His job was to collect the unpaid taxes from other people or corporations. They were known as publicans as well in New Testament times. They were hated by the Jews in Bible days because of their perceived greed and collaboration with the Roman occupiers. Jews did not like them. And most tax collectors amassed personal wealth by demanding tax payments in excess of what Rome had levied. So, brother Moses, you owe ten dollars to, ro- to Rome. No, you don't. You owe fifteen. I'm going to take his fifteen dollars, give the ten dollars to Rome, and I'm going to keep five dollars because it was hard work to come to you to ask for it. So, these tax collectors in the Old Testament amassed a big amount of wealth because of this was the process. This is what they did. Right? They came and, and they 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 cut the they clipped the ticket they worked for tax farmers but this day jesus was passing through jericho on his way to jerusalem and there was someone this little tax man that wanted to see jesus now i don't know about you but we don't like the tax some people don't like the tax office i shouldn't say we but if you do the right thing they're going to look after you Zacchaeus is walking down the street and maybe there were whispers here he comes have you paid your tax? He's coming this way. Have you paid your tax? Here comes a traitor stealing from us, taking from us and giving to the Romans. He wouldn't have had a very good reputation in town. They wouldn't have liked him. They might have used words like traitor. There would have been whispers and sneers. Here comes that corrupt taxman. But this day Jesus was passing through town on his way to Jerusalem. And Luke 19.3 says that Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was, but good not because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. He was little. Little man. So what does he do? He couldn't push through the crowd because there's always a crowd where Jesus was. Multitudes and throngs. There was always a crowd around Jesus. He couldn't get through because he was little. So he decided to climb the sycamore tree. So I can see the little man climbing a tree. Hopefully the branches were low so he could reach, right? But he climbs this tree and maybe the crowd, the Bible doesn't say, what's that traitor doing? What is he doing? He's climbing a tree. Has he got no shame? Has he got no shame? But he just wanted to get to Jesus. He just wanted to see Jesus. He sought to see him, Luke 19 and 3 says. So as he climbs this tree, the crowd may have said something. But Jesus saw him. Jesus saw Zacchaeus just as he was, the corrupt taxman. Or so the crowd thought that he was the corrupt taxman. Luke nineteen, five 5-7 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully, joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained. He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Jesus called him by name. Zacchaeus. See, Jesus was only passing through. He was only passing through, but Jesus knew, knew who he was. Jesus knew who he was. The crowd knew who he was. The crowd knew who what he did. They complained. How dare Jesus go to the sinner's house? How dare Who does he think he is? But Jesus was saying, Zacchaeus, you did your best to come to me. So I am going to come to your house and have relationship, have a meal with you. We don't need to get good to get God. We just need to come to him just as we are. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 29 and 31, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. It's different to being counted. I've lost a few numbers. But they are still numbered, what's left. God knows the numbers of them that are on my pillow. The Bible says He has numbered the hairs of your head. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. The crowd wasn't happy with Zacchaeus. How dare Jesus go and have lunch with a sinner? How dare Jesus meet with that traitor? But Jesus is calling. Jesus was calling Zacchaeus, "Come down. Let's go home to your house." Luke 19:10 says, "For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the holy. He didn't come for everyone that had it all together. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich or tall or short or skinny or overweight. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And there's an important principle in the story of Zacchaeus. You see, Zacchaeus didn't go home and sort out his affairs. He didn't go home and make right and get dressed nicely, look really good. He just said, "Jesus is passing by. I have to get to him just as I am." When the opportunity presented itself, Zacchaeus took it with both hands. There's many examples of this in the Bible. Many examples of people would come to Jesus and receive what they need. Example after example, God is no respecter of persons. He is no respecter of persons. Men can be respecters of persons, but God is not a respecter of persons. He's just looking for someone to come to him just as you are. Just as you are. Matthew 8 gives us a couple of examples. First, it was a leper who came to Jesus and asked for healing. Jesus touches him and immediately he is cleansed. Now, if you know Old Testament law, you're not allowed to touch a leper. You're not allowed to forbidden. But Jesus, he was countercultural. There was no precedent in Jesus's books. You know what? If you had a need, he would touch you. It didn't matter what the priests and the Pharisees and, and those in the temple and it would say. It didn't matter to Jesus. If you had a need and came to him, he would meet your need. So this leper comes to Jesus. And Brother Tristan, you're not a leper, but I'm going to do what Jesus did. He touched him broke the rules he broke the rules what are the rules in your life what rules do you have what rules have you put up there that are stopping Jesus from touching you the rules said no you can't touch a leper in fact the lepers had to ring a bell when they were around so people would know that there were lepers around they had to shout that they were unclean they had to declare their disease their reputation preceded them here comes the leper Get out of the way. But Jesus touches this leper. Why? It tells us in Mark 1, 41, Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched the leper and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. The leper asked, If you are willing, Jesus, you can make me clean." And Jesus was willing, and he was able. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever your need is, Jesus is willing and able, but you have to come to him. At the end of the day, Jesus is a gentleman. He is not going to force his will on you, but he is looking for those who are willing, willing to come to him. So the leper is cleansed he is cleansed and he's told see jesus also understood what needed to happen so jesus tells him go show yourself to the priest because it was only the priest that was allowed to declare that the leper had been cleansed so this leper goes and he does what he needs to do i'm going to ask you this morning what is it that holds you back from approaching the lord with faith and confidence what are those rules that you've made in your own mind what are those rules We, we all have rules they're called house rules. If you play a card game at my home, you know, phase 10, there are house rules. Some that help me, because I'm not very good at these games. Some that help everyone else that plays. But what are the rules in your mind and your heart that you have got written? Are there rules such as, I was rejected once. So I am not going to put myself out. That's a rule. I'm scared of being rejected again. I'm just not going to put myself out. Are there rules such as, if I come to Jesus the way I am, is he really going to accept me? Because no one else did. I'm scared. I'm scared. Or, no one here can help me. How can Jesus help me? And I doubt. We all have these rules, but I want to tell you no one who came to Jesus was refused help. Even the untouchables and the outcasts of Jewish society found help in Jesus. Unlike the people of his time who fled at the sight of the leper, Jesus touched the leper. As he approached Jesus confidently and humbly, he expected Jesus could heal him. And that's the key. Coming to Jesus without doubt. Coming to him with confidence, knowing that he is, and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You've got to come to him though. You've got to come to him and not be held back. Normally a leper would be stoned or at least warded off if he tried to come near a rabbi. That's what would normally happen. But Jesus granted this man's request by healing him but also demonstrated his love and compassion by touching him Jesus met the man's misery with compassion and tender kindness and he can do the same for you today he will do the same for you today if you let him so do I take my problems to Jesus it's a rhetorical question The answer should be yes. Or do I handle the issues on my own when healing is waiting for me? If I would take my wounded soul, my crushed spirit, my aching heart to Jesus, would he leave me hanging in brokenness? So many times we can resolve our own problems before we go to him. We try plan A, plan B, plan C, and all else fails Oh, hang on. Jesus. Try Jesus. We've got that backwards. It can take us long to remember him. To remember that he wants to bring us out of our brokenness and fix us up and put us back together again. It can take us long to remember we have a God who is on our side. But we can come to him today just as we are. Just as we are. James 4 and 8 in part says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, there's a command there. Draw near to God. But there's, that command has a promise with it. If you draw near to God like it's commanded, he will draw near to you. We are commanded to draw near to him. And I love the promises of God. But we need to go through a process To get to the promise. In fact, many times in scripture we will find things such as, If you will, God will. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. But it takes something on our part. You know, Peter had to get out of the boat to walk on the water. Peter could have, in his mind, said, Well, if I do it, I'll just, it'll work. But he had to get out of the boat. He had to take the first step before God could meet with him and intervene in his situation and he started to sink. So in this instance, we need to first come to God. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. If you will, I guarantee you he will. I guarantee you he will. Just as I am. Just as I am. Jesus wants you to come to him just as you are. It's available. Whatever you need is available in this place for you today. If you need healing, come to him. If you need deliverance, come to him. If you need freedom, he's here to set you free today. If you need salvation, you can come to him. The Bible tells us about salvation, what we must do to be saved. The Bible doesn't tell us to say a prayer and we're saved. The Bible doesn't tell us to, to repeat a prayer, Pastor Simon, and you're saved. The Bible tells us in the New Testament what we must do to be saved. Acts 2 and 38, the first step, it's Acts 2 and 38. Says, and Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There's a command, but there is also a promise. The command is we need to repent. We need to turn away from our wicked ways. We need to turn away from our sinful nature and turn toward God. Tell God we are sorry for that which we have done and walk away. Step away. Forsake it. That's an army term. We don't, they don't use the word, the army term repent anymore. It's retreat. But in old army terminology, it was repent. And it literally meant if you, if you were running to battle and you heard the word repent, you would turn around and run the other way. And that is what we are asked to do when it comes to our salvation. We are supposed to turn away, walk away from our sinful nature and turn and walk toward God. God, I'm sorry for the wrong I've done. I turn away from that and I turn to you. That's a command. We have to repent. Then we are commanded to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Why? Not to become a member of a church. It's not an outward declaration of an inward feeling. It is so our sins are washed away. we've turned away from that wicked nature when we repent, but we're still dirty. We've told God we're sorry, just like when you when you go out and you spend some time working out or whatever it is, and, and you're sweaty and you want, you need to have a shower so you smell nice i, I That's that a bad example because I can't relate to that, but you need to. Clean yourself up. So we've told God we're sorry for the wrong we've done. We've stepped away from it. Well, we're still dirty on the inside. And that is the purpose of baptism. Noah and his family were saved through the water. And it's the same how baptism saves us. We're saved through water. We don't bury people in dirt. You're buried in water for the remission of your sins. You are a new creature. So they're the two commands. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And then there is the promise. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, you don't need to get good to get God. You need to come to God as you are. God, I am here a sinner. There's there's no good in me. My righteousness are as filthy rags. Lord, I am sorry, Lord God, for what I've done. Lord, I I repent. I turn away from that sinful nature and, and I'm baptized in his name. And then he's promised the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's his tick of approval. That's God coming and residing in your life. You, the initial evidence on the day of Pentecost is that they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's God's stamp of approval on your life. He, but God cannot do anything until you draw near to Him. All He's asking is for you to come. We read it in, in Matthew, at the, my first verse. Come unto me, if you're heavy laden and you're burdened, and He will give you Rest. Rest. So Jesus steps off the boat, and there's a very important man to meet him on the seashore. Usually these people didn't do anything or want to have anything to do with Jesus. In fact, they sought to kill him, to undermine him at every opportunity. But this day, the ruler of the synagogue is there on the seashore. His name was Jarius. He sees Jesus, and he falls at his feet. Again, you don't do that. You don't do that. That man in that position does not fall at the feet of Jesus. But he had an urgent problem. His daughter was sick. We, if you've got kids, sick kids are the worst because you want to help them. You just want to make it better. You can't. You feel helpless. So I can relate to Jarius. When my kids are sick, I just want to help them. So he's come to Jesus. She is sick. She's close to death. He says, Jesus, Come. Lay your hands on my daughter so she can be healed. See, he was the ruler of the synagogue, the two I see in the synagogue. And he came to Jesus in his time of need, just as he was. He didn't, there was no airs or graces. There was no trumpets announcing his arrival. He just came as he was because his daughter was sick. And Jesus says, let's go. You draw near to him, he will draw near to you. We've already read that. Along the way, there's a crowd. And if you know the account in the Bible, there's this lady that's in this crowd. And she suffered with an ailment for a bit longer than Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. This lady had suffered for an ailment for 12 years. It's a long time. Man flu sufferers, a day's a long time. She suffered for 12 years. Systema. That's a long time. The Bible says she tried it all. She went to all the doctors. She spent all that she had. She didn't get better. She got worse. But the crowd's there and she's weak. The crowd's there and she can't get through the crowd. They're pushing her. They're getting her out of the way because if you've lost blood for 12 years, you're not going to be up straight and have strength. She, anyway, she gets through the crowd. She gets through the crowd. She's persistent. She pushes on. And she touches the border, the hem of his garment. And Jesus certainly understands that virtue has flown out of him for someone has touched him. I'm not just talking about how he broke. It's not that kind of touch. But something happened in that touch because of her persistence, her desperation. She decided, I'm going to come to Jesus. I've tried everything I can. Again, she was bleeding. Was she allowed to be out of her house? No. But she came to Jesus. Just as she was, she touched him and she was healed. Jesus said, something's happened. Something has changed here. Someone has touched me. Oh, look at the crowd. Of course someone's touched you. You know, his helpful disciples say, look at the crowd. No, but it was different. It was different. There was one in the crowd that had touched Jesus, touched him in a way that just the throng of, you know, being in a crowd didn't. She tells Jesus the story of being like this for so long. And he says, your faith has made you whole. You've been made whole. You had the opportunity today to be healed and also be made whole. But you've got to come to Jesus. You've got to draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Just a Cassandra, if you come, please. Amen. Just as I am. That's a beautiful old song. You know, I encourage you to listen to it. It's about five verses, but a beautiful song, beautiful words. And now you understand the context of her life. It makes that song even more beautiful. Stand with me this morning. Please. bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Luke chapter 15 tells us a trilogy of beautiful stories. Three amazingly beautiful stories. Jesus is sitting there and he speaks a parable. He talks about a farmer having some sheep. A hundred of them in fact. And one gets lost. And Jesus tells a story about this one sheep that has gone out and has been lost. And this farmer, the shepherd, goes and searches for one sheep. You would say he's still got 99, right? Why waste your time looking for the one? Why waste your time? But he goes out and he searches for this one sheep. Those roads wouldn't have been easy to walk, Pastor Simon, Brother Gavin. Bible times, been dust, rocks. But I can just see the shepherd climbing hills, climbing mountains, looking for this one sheep. Whatever it took, he was going to find the sheep. The Bible says that when he finds the sheep, he picks it up and he carries it. And he starts rejoicing. they still 99 at home. But he's so happy that he's found this one sheep. And he comes home and he calls his friends and his neighbors and his family and says, let's rejoice, let's have a party, for I found my sheep which was lost. And the Bible says that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Then over the 99 just, self-righteous, I'm all right, people that don't need repentance then he tells a second parable about the lost coin this lady had ten coins again we know this story if you know your bible she loses one coin she's lost her tithes for the week she loses one coin she's still got nine left if you lose a dollar you've still got nine dollars what's the big deal but you've got to understand what Jesus was saying if you have a read of Jewish history and Jewish culture when Jewish women get married they would sew 10 coins together and wear it on their forehead to signify that they are a bride that they belong to someone that they are to be married you can't put nine coins on your forehead because that's just not right it means nothing but she turns her house upside down She turns her house upside down till she finds this coin. And when she finds this coin, she rejoices. She rejoices because now she can be joined to someone. Now she can have that relationship with her groom. We are the bride of Christ. We need to have it all the way the Bible tells us to have it if we want to have relationship with him if we want to rule and reign with him forever then the third story talks about the prodigal son talks about the son the younger of two that said to his dad dad give me my inheritance I'm out of here I'm going if you read Jewish culture they were allowed to do this it was allowed in Jewish culture but what you were saying was dad to me you are dead that's what you were saying dad to me you are dead the young man was in this parable he was well within his rights to ask for his inheritance but he gets his inheritance and he walks, he leaves and as it goes when you leave the protection of the father's house you start to do silly things and make mistakes. And and the Bible says that it wasn't long that he spent all he had with riotous living, parties, having some fun. And then a famine hits the land. And when you're down, don't think you can get any lower, something else happens. Something else happens. There's famine now. Now this Jewish boy in this story has decided, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to join myself to someone in my land And this Jewish boy is eating with pigs. How low can you go? But this Jewish boy remembered dad's house. Remembered dad's house. Oh, my servant, the servants in that house even are doing better than I am. I'm doing right now. They're eating better than I've ever eaten right now. And he comes to himself. The best decision he's made in a little while I'm going home I'm going home you see if you come to Jesus you draw near to him he will draw near to you and the parable goes on to say that dad is waiting and sees his son a far way off and he runs and kisses him and has compassion on him if you read the law what was supposed to happen to that rebellious young man The law says that he was to be taken to the gates of the city and stoned to death by the elders. But that's not our God. He is a God of love. He is a God of compassion. He is a God of grace. And he is waiting for you today. He's waiting for you today. He is on the lookout. Maybe today my son, my daughter, my child will come to me. Draw near to him. And he will draw near to you. It says in Ezekiel, I think it is, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Today is the day of salvation. This is your opportunity. Let's just lift our voices. Everyone in this place, let's just lift our voices to him. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your compassion, God. Lord, while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us, God. Lord, you didn't wait for us, God, to sort it all out to become good. But you saw us in our rotten and dying state and you came and you gave your life for me. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace.